0: These things, these things about who God is, they're not given to the wise and the intelligent, the brilliant, the well-trained. No, 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 no. These are given to infants, not even babies. We're talking about people that it's really not in the brain matter. It's really in the heart. It's really what God does to the heart. Yes, he speaks to the mind, but the mind is, is blind apart from the work of God in the hearts of men.
1: hello dear listeners my name is Juan Vega I am a personal friend and disciple of Joseph dorso today in this podcast named the art of discipleship we are going to learn about the command to disciple the definition of a disciple the transition from old to New Testament disciple how Christ alone gives authority in the church and how disciples are made by God and not merely trained by men through the teachings of As presented in this lesson, we will see that we should regard only the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels and New Testament letters as essential and reject worldly and cultural influences. We hope that this podcast will help to edify and build up discipleship
0: in our churches. And here is Joe. My dear listeners, this is Joe Durso. I am recording the second in a series of podcasts on discipleship. The first one was Mature Humility. This one I've called The Art of Discipleship we will begin with Jesus' command to disciple as found in Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Nothing could be more clear as Jesus was always perfectly clear. The problem with understanding God or in the person of Jesus Christ or anywhere in Scripture it's always with men. The lack of clarity is always in our minds, our clouded minds, because of sin and worldly influences. But here Jesus is speaking to the eleven that he's walked with for three years. He's taught them in the most private setting. He's given them authority as apostles. And he tells them in this passage on the mountain that he had all authority. All authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth. He then says, go therefore and make disciples. Why? Why go, therefore? Because he has the authority. We're not going in our own strength. We're not going in our own ability. We're not going as if we had authority. No, no, no. No, the disciple is a man who walks by faith in Jesus Christ. His faith is in the authority, in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ, the work that was accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago for sinners, to save sinners from their sins, the penalty of their sin, and from the presence of sin in their life. And so he tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that act of commitment by which we proclaim to the world, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, by being baptized, submerged in water, coming up out of death into newness of life, which speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A new person. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new, Jesus. And Paul said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, invested in the work and person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And here's the key, key element, teaching them, to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this takes it way beyond the apostles. He's speaking beyond to the end of the age, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, right down to today, right down to you and me. We uh, who have committed our life to Jesus Christ have been born again, who are regenerated, have a new heart. We have the responsibility then to teach others, to teach them what Jesus Christ commanded those original apostles who wrote the New Testament and those who were close to them, that he would be with us to the end of the age and we are to observe all that he commanded. So now the question is, what did he command? What is a disciple? Let's, Let's look at the definition of a disciple. and This is just looking at the Greek word as it's used in the New Testament for disciple. And it basically means mental effort needed to think something through. Now, this is no small bit of information about what a a disciple is. We know it's a learner, it's a follower, uh, but you know what? It's a thinker. A person who actually exerts mental effort, necessary mental effort, to think something through. What are we thinking through? We're thinking through all the commands of Christ. What it means to observe the commands of Christ. We're not taking this out of our own heads. We're not going to think like I mentioned the last time, if we can escape the box that we're put in. In this case, by hundreds of years of, of church tradition, Uh, No, we're going to step aside for a second, step back for a minute, and we're going to look at what Jesus commands us uh, with regards to discipleship, what he commanded. We're going to use some mental effort. And the the word goes on to talk about properly a learner, a disciple, or a follower of Christ who learns the doctrines of Scripture, and here's key, and the lifestyle they require. So we're not just thinking about some theological idea, some concept, as if somehow it's removed from how we live our lives. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're thinking through all the implications, all the applications of whatever it is that the doctrines of Scripture teach and how they require someone with proper instruction from the Bible with necessary follow-through in life application. So let us begin with the teaching of Jesus from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. And in this, I want us to see the transition that takes place from the Old to the New Testament. What it means as a disciple, because we have to remember the history of the Bible. And the history of the Bible goes from Genesis 1 and the creation of all things, to man falling into sin, to then man having the promise of redemption, which God does through a man, Abraham, after having done it through Noah. Eventually, it's through a man because through that man is going to come a nation and through that nation is going to come the law and the prophets and the prophecies and the, and the promised Messiah through whom is Jesus Christ and who would re- be redemption and salvation in him. So he, that's the history and with the law and the giving of the law, we then go from that, the giving of the law in through the nation of Israel to Jesus Christ coming as the fulfillment of the promises and a new thing which begins through the book of Acts in, in the church. And there's a transition there. Oh my gosh, we've got to go from the Old Testament to New Testament. It's not an easy thing. And there was suffering that went through this and new teaching and, and an acquisition of a new thinking And here's thinking through the whole process and discipleship to go from Israel to the to the church for a time. So in Mark chapter two and verses one through twenty two, we'll read this in part. As he passed by, he saw Levi, that's Matthew, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, "Follow me." And he got up and followed him. Now, without going into details, this is a corrupt tax collector who who collected his money through thugs. He's basically part of the mob. And when he walked away from the table, he was walking away from all the money. And he was walking away from all that he knew. So this is no little matter in order to follow Jesus Christ. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Of course, those were all the the friends the the comrades of levi he invited them to this dinner for there were many of them and they were following him and when the scribes of the pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors they said to his disciples why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners and hearing this jesus said to them it is not those who are healthy who need a physician But those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in that statement, he was saying, if you're a sinner, I've got something for you. If you think you're righteous, I don't have anything for you. Then it goes on in the passage, beginning at verse 18. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, why do you do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Jesus was talking about his departure, and after the three years, his death, resurrection, and his ascension into heaven back to the Father. He would be taken away and there would be time for fasting and prayer and all that would take place uh, through the building up of the church and dealing with spiritual warfare. In verse 21, it goes on and says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And so it was in that day that Jesus was teaching a very important uh, transition that was taking place, that they were going to be going from the Old Testament into a, a new dynamic, a new means by which God would bring forth his message. He was going from Israel as a nation to the church. Paul put the same principle this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 6 through 8. He said, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old leaven that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are for christ our passover lamb has been sacrificed therefore let us keep the feast not with the old leaven leavened with malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth what was paul saying there which is corresponds to jesus transition from old wineskins to new wineskins you know in israel You had a nation, and the nation were called the people of God, the children of God, and they were that by birth. By birth, Paul makes it clear in Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, climaxing in 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're not born a child of God, redeemed and saved and regenerated and born again as you're born from birth. From birth, you're born as a sinner. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all born sinners. And so the concept of Israel as the children of God, actually it was the remnant that were the children of God. Not all Israel is Israel, Paul said again in Romans. Why? Because you have to be saved. You have to be born again. You have to be redeemed. You have to put your faith in the promises of God, in the word of God, and the promises of God... The promise of God is that He would send a Messiah, which He did in Jesus Christ, to save men from their sins. So, this transition is going from the children of God being known as the children of Israel, a nation, a national people, to individuals that would make up the church. Of course, the church got twisted and became, again, an Israel in the sense that you can be Christian because you're born Christian, which is not biblical. This is what we're talking about, thinking outside the box. People are baptized into the faith because they get saved. They put their faith in Christ. They become born again. Their eyes are open. Their sins are forgiven. Their heart is cleansed. Their guilty conscience becomes pure because of what Christ did as a person, whether they're born Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu or Christian, quote-unquote. Every person has to be born Again, so Paul is talking about cleansing the church and he's talking about so-called brothers and people who live in sin. And so he says, your boasting is not good because they were boasting about the grace of God and they were seeing sinful people acting like sinful people, not acting like Christian people who've been redeemed and changed and in the process of being transformed and walking away from sin, they're sinning. And he's saying, and they're boasting about it and in 1 Corinthians, and, he's, and from, from 5 into 6, chapter 6, and he says, your boasting is not good. Do you, do you not know that a little leaven, and this is actually chapter 5, I apologize, do you not know that a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old leaven, that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. This is no little matter. This is not something we gloss over and we we pass it by and we do what we want to do. This is Christ was sacrificed as the Passover. He committed himself to, to redeem us from our sins by an awful, eternal sacrifice as he died for the eternal payment of sins. It would have taken us an eternity to pay for those sins. Only God could do such a thing and he did in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Let us keep the feast, not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're not the people of Israel anymore that had ordinances that made clear that they were the children of Israel. What makes clear that we're the children of Israel is that we don't behave as Christians with malice and wickedness. No, no, we behave as Christians as those who are sincerely true to the faith. Now, this becomes even more clear as we think through this idea of this transition uh, that Christ alone gives authority in the church. Only the most arrogant men take Christ's appointment for themselves. Christ alone gives authority in the church. Only the most arrogant men take Christ's appointment for themselves. So if you're a disciple of Christ... You're a disciple because Christ appointed you to be a disciple, because He's sovereign over all things, including salvation, not because you decide to do so. So, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20, make this very clear uh, when it says, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And He said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So here we're looking at disciples sent out by Jesus, 70 of them, who he had given authority and he had given real authority, not fake, not, we're not talking about TV evangelists who talk through their mouth and not knowing nothing of what they're talking about. But these were actual disciples in that day that Jesus sent out and he gave them authority. And they tread down serpents and they had authority over scorpions and they had power of the enemy that nothing could injure them. Disciples are made by God and not merely trained by men. He goes on in, cha- in verse 21. At that very time, this is Jesus, and, 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 and the emphasis from the last verses, don't, don't miss this, is that the joy is found in being saved, in being saved by the blood of Christ, in being saved apart from our own works, but by the grace of God through faith, that, that w- He says to them, Do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Let's keep the, the rejoicing. Again, not in any merit or anything given that's temporal, uh, but something much more eternal. And that is salvation. At that very time, mm-hmm. in verse 21, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus. And said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. This is a beautiful statement made by Jesus. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And who the Father except the Son... And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So the key statement in these verses is found that the the Lord of heaven and earth, He was greatly rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. You have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent. Don't miss that. Reveal them to infants. Very important point in understanding discipleship. This is not a matter of academics. We live in a very academic age. College, universities, training, all of that academics, all of that intelligence and the brilliance that men have, even though they're brilliant, in Romans 1 it calls them morons because they would not acknowledge God. These people are being trained and they're being trained not because they're in brilliant, but because they have childlike faith. So he goes on and actually that completes that section. This is the way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things has been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. These things, these things about who God is, they're not given to the wise and the intelligent, the brilliant, the well-trained. No, 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 no. These are given to infants, not even babies. We're talking about people that it's really not in the brain matter. It's really in the heart. It's really what God does to the heart. Yes, he speaks to the mind, but the mind is, is blind apart from the work of God in the hearts of men. So in Acts chapter 19, 11 through 20, it says this. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. This isn't Pentecostal, some charismatic hoax. This is the real deal, and he's performing. God is performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. This isn't some tent revival meeting. This isn't some church meeting where fake people are brought in to to disguise. The phoniness that's pretending to be something that they're that they're not. No, no, this is the real deal. Taking a handkerchief that touched Paul's body, placing it on someone, and now their blindness goes away, or they start walking where they were lame, or maybe even raising the dead, demon spirits going out, all manner of diseases. This is the real. This is somebody going into a a hospital and empty the hospital. When was the last time you saw that on TV? By the way, I've never seen that. But this is real. And then in verse 13 it says, but also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who, or basically in Jesus' name, who had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus. They're taking that and they're using to cast out spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now it goes on to a very exciting part in Acts chapter 19. It says, seven sons of one Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit, this is an evil spirit, this isn't a man, answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul, but who are you? This is not something you want said to you. And in verse 16, it goes on and says, And the man in whom was the evil spirit, so this is a man in whom is a demon spirit, leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified I'll tell you who this fear fell upon. Anybody who's going to be fake about this. No man wants to be torn his clothes and wounded and have to flee for his life. And this demon spirit made it clear that he was willing to do that. Uh, Why? Because he just he didn't recognize. He recognized Jesus. He recognized Paul. He didn't recognize this person. That can happen. Verse eighteen says many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. So these are magic practices that people are coming along and they're saying, oh man, this is fake. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and had found it 50,000 pieces of silver. This is a huge amount of money. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. So there was true conversion. True people who said, our magic is fake. Our magic is false. We don't want to happen to us what happened to them. And there is that testimony and the witness of the saints that prevailed and many became saved. Why? Because the word of Jesus Christ through his apostles, in this case the Apostle Paul, was true. It was real. It was Honest, just like stated earlier, 1 Corinthians. There is one high priest, just as there are twelve apostles and many disciples. One high priest, just as there are twelve apostles and many disciples. Hebrews chapter 5, 1 through 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men and things pertaining to God. In order to offer both gifts and sacrifice for sins, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So back to Israel. We're talking about the priest, the high priest, once a year would enter into the Holy of Holies. And so he's he's talking about how this was given to the the tribe of Aaron. And then he goes on in verse 5 and says, So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But he who said to him, You are my son today. I have begotten you. That's God the Father speaking to the Son and appointing him the high priest. And then just as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I'm making the point here that there's the appointment of a high priest which belongs to Christ alone. There's the appointment of apostles which there are 12 who have their names written on the foundation of the New Jerusalem. There were men in the early days who were acquaintances, friends, brothers, brethren with the apostles who were prophets and who spoke the word of God before the, the, the Bible was complete and the canon was closed. So um, the I'm, point I'm bringing out here for all to understand is the art of discipleship is bound in the dis- discipline of doing what you are told, that is doing what you are told by the definition of the one doing the telling and not according to the one doing the hearing. We can call ourselves whatever we want. Bishops, popes, cardinals, priests. It doesn't matter what we call ourselves. What matters is what God, who he ordains, what positions he's made, and what he's called us to be. The New Testament is a, is a New Testament of disciples, because after the apostolic era was done, the prophets were done, the the canon was closed, it's all about teaching and preaching and discipleship. It's a whole different picture, and I want to show that to you. A disciple of Christ is by definition a person who possesses the mental effort, let us remember this, needed to think through what it means to be a follower of Christ, not what we want it to mean. Not what we think it means. Not what we've been told it means. But what it actually means biblically. The obedient disciple of Christ and the discipler for Christ is one who, like Christ, is willing to turn the world on its head. Did you hear what I just said? The obedient disciple of Christ, the follower of Christ, and the discipler, the one who makes disciples for Christ, is one who, like Christ, is willing to turn the world on its head. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at Jesus' teaching from Matthew chapter 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, and the slave like his master. So a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, not above. And then it goes, Jesus goes on and says, "If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub or the devil, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So when he begins this portion for 24 to 25, he's talking about our taking our place as being like the master and being rejected by the world. They said, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, said that Jesus did what he did by the power of the devil. And it goes on in verses 32 and 33, "...therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven." Now that's talking about confessing and denying with a clear-cut message from Jesus that those who would confess would be confessed. Those who deny would be denied. There's a reality that takes place in the heart of the true believer, a transformation of mind and heart. And as the process continues by faith, it becomes stronger and stronger that that person will and have to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. The fake The false, the phony, never really get there. Those who continue to the end will be saved, and it might be their end. In 34 through 36, he goes on and says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the enemies of his household. Now, look what's going on here. This isn't church as normal. We can go back hundreds of years. We can go back to the Middle Ages. We can talk about Christianity as it was under the Roman Catholic Church, and people were born Roman Catholic. They died Roman Catholic. They went to hell Roman Catholic. Why? Because they weren't born again. Not to say that a, a, a Roman Catholic couldn't be born again. But you're not, a, you're not a bagel because you're born in a bakery. And you're not a Christian because you're born in the home of a, of a quote-unquote Christian. This is where Jesus is turning the world on its head. And the church does just that. It turns the, the world on its head. True Confession makes a disciple a disciple, not not false profession. And true Christians are in a battle with the world. And sometimes, as Jesus went on to teach, it's with the members of his own household. There's nothing more discouraging to the Christian, but at the same time one who cannot deny Christ. When his family members even sometimes seek for his death in Muslim countries, in, in China, it's it's not uncommon for Christians to be ostracized into a Jew, who they had a funeral for him when he became a Christian. The coffin, the whole nine yards. He was dead to the family. Matthew ten thirty seven to thirty nine. He says, Jesus says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Now see, he's turning the world on its head. He's saying, look, the strongest ties that people have, family ties, if they get in between the disciple and Jesus, that disciple is not worthy disciple. That's not a real disciple. Jesus Christ has won the first place in a man's heart, or that's not a disciple. Now, that's not the world. The world loves acclamation. It loves awards and rewards, and it loves to take first place. But Jesus is saying, for the disciple, Jesus has to have first place. That brings us to Luke chapter 22, 24 to 27. And there arose also a dispute among them to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. Now a benefactor by that word is one who had a title of honor conferred on him because he had done the country service, like on a, on a prince. So the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. They lorded over one another as those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves." Now let us look at our churches. Are you, are you in a Christian church? Are you in a church that professes to be Christian? Are you in a church that has a, a pastor and, uh, and it's Protestant? and I, I don't know what denomination or if you're independent. But you're in a church where they profess Jesus Christ as Lord. They profess that only by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, in Jesus Christ, are you saved. And you must be born again. Now, he's talking about how the Gentiles do things and how they honor one another, how they lord it over one another. And then he says, but it's not that way with you. He's talking to the church. He's talking to disciples. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it the, the one who reclines at the table? I mean, who's greater, the waiter, or the or the person being waited on? And he's making this clear observation: it's it's not the servant; it's the it's the one who reclines at table. But he says, "I am among you as the one who serves." On the night that he was betrayed, he girded himself with a towel. He went around. And he washed the disciples' feet. God knows where those feet were that day, walking on a road with animals and dung and all of that, and he's down on his knees washing their feet. God of glory, the creator of heaven and earth, is washing their feet. He's the one who does the serving. Now, let us stop for a second as we've been considering some elements of discipleship. Right now we're considering the church as it is, as, as it's institutionalized, with all the good that there is, with, with those who actually preach the gospel, not those who are, are some cult. We're not talking Jehovah Witness or Mormons or, or any cult that do not even recognize that Jesus Christ is God. We're talking about some evangelical church. Uh, I'm, I'm bringing a word of, of question I'm asking you, as pastors and leaders and members, how are you? How is your your church structured? Is it structured this way? This is Jesus' words. This is Jesus saying, "No, the Gentiles they lorded over one another. It's not that. It's not going to be that way. Like with you. No, let the greatest among you become like the youngest, and the leader like the s- servant. What's that mean? Does that mean like?" He has to act dumb? No, it's not meaning that. Does it mean he doesn't teach the Word of God and have place in the church as one who understands the Word of God? It does. I'm asking you now can you think outside the box? Is there such humility in your church that the pastor doesn't have a place of authority? Is he lording it over? Or is he like the younger? What's the process? In the last 20 years, there's been a big movement towards elders. There used to be, you know, single pastor, pastor of the church. He was the pastor of the church. And then through understanding scriptures, uh, teaching that has gone out and all over, I'm not even going to mention where it started, even though I love the man who started it, uh, in our generation uh, or the past generation. And... uh, Elders start plurality of leadership. I have to tell you, we're talking about attitude here. We're talking about how people are perceived and how they project themselves to others. It doesn't matter if you have one pastor or you got 50, because all 50 can be just as, have just a raunchy attitude as one, and then you got 50 times the problem. We're talking about people taking the lower place. We're talking about people serving with an attitude of servitude. We're talking about, I don't know, would your pastor get down on the floor and wash your feet? Literally. Would he he do that? Is he capable of doing that? I'm not trying to condemn anybody or start any trouble or divide any churches. I'm simply teaching discipleship. What does it mean to make a disciple? If you're not turning the world on its head, you're doing it wrong because that's what Jesus did. However this works out, and there's a very applicable way, there's a a pure, clear application to this in attitude, in how we approach, how we treat one another. Whether we love one another and we build people up from the bottom or we try to pull them up from the top. Pulling people up from the top just doesn't work. Getting under people and humbling ourselves and serving them and pouring into them with a humility that can be seen, that's different than a pastor who's lording it over. Or elders who are lording it over. No, this is what Jesus said. But it is not this way to be this way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am am among you as the one who serves. If we're going to be disciples of Christ, that means we have to walk like Christ. If we're going to project to others Jesus, then we have to be like Jesus. He served. He preached. He proclaimed. He was rejected just as Paul was, just as the apostles were. They all died but John. They faced death. They went to their crosses, thrown off of buildings, killed with the sword. It wasn't glorious on earth. The glory happened when they passed into the next life and they received their crown, or they will receive their crown. The glory was being with Jesus. The glory was being obedient to Jesus. Here's the words. Now, what do they mean to you? How are they working out in your church? How are they working out in your own mind and in your heart? Are you a follower of Christ the way he wants you to be? Or are you living in a a box where you don't belong? With that, I'm going to conclude my words. And we'll uh, pick this up uh, pretty much, I guess, where we left off today. And we're talking about the art of discipleship. The art of making disciples. The art of making a disciple is making a disciple just the way Jesus taught us to. Just the way he taught. Not the way we want it to be. Not the way we think it to be. not No, the way he wants it to be. That's the art of discipleship. Love you, brothers. Love you, my dear listeners. I hope you're blessed by this. I hope you're blessed in the church where you belong. And I hope you can be a blessing to others. Have a great day.
1: Thank you, Joe, for teaching us today about the importance of being a servant leader, for teaching us the importance of leading by example and seeking the well-being of our fellow brothers and sisters above our own, of imitating our Lord Jesus Christ in counting one another as more important than ourselves. We must all follow the example of our Lord Jesus Christ by denying ourselves taking up our cross and following him and remembering that we must lay down our lives for his sake that christ is all in all that he is the first and the last in our lives thank you joe we appreciate your teaching we hope that this is a blessing uh, to your churches and have a great day